What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, not. It's great to see you. My goodness, we've missed you. Oh, I've missed you too. It feels like a lifetime. A couple of weeks away from F1. I mean, they say a week's a long time in politics, but it's a whole decade (laughs) in Formula One. Well, you did miss a good one in Hungary. I actually really enjoyed watching it as a fan because you're able sort of to take it all in and fully appreciate what an absolute thriller it was. And obviously, aside from Ocon taking his maiden win and all the other subplots to this incredibly compelling narrative. Fernando Alonso, for me, was just such a highlight. The way he defended and then that in turn helping Ocon to victory. And when the two Alpines went side by side in almost balletic fashion, it was just wonderful to see. Congratulations to them. You're making me relive it again, Pinks. I mean, I think you could watch that on loop and not get bored. And uh, DH, you're there as well, Chief. Hello. Yeah, we've we've discussed Hungary, haven't we? It was a cracker, and uh, it's one of those things that you probably had a chance to watch it with the family, Natalie. So you could sort of sit there and see the reactions of people throughout the race. I expect. Well, it was quite funny because I put it to my five and six year old the following day. I said, if anyone can remind me, and there was a couple of four year olds in there as well as a big group of kids. I said, if anyone can tell me who won the Hungarian Grand Prix. I will give them 10 euros. And Wilf, six, (laughs) said, Ocon. I said, brilliant. What's his first name? He went, David. (laughs) (laughs) You're bribing your children to watch watch the race. That's not good, is it? It's going to cost you a fortune. Five euros, split the difference. He got it half right. Pinks, it's great to have you back. Now, look, we're doing something a bit different. Can you explain to everybody... What the hell's going on? Because I'm not sure I know. I'll tell you what it is, Tom. It is an absolute bonanza. Our favourite part of the show, probably the part that Damon winces at slightly and cringes because it is Ask Damon throughout the whole of the summer break. You can basically ask him anything. But uh, this is going to be Ask Damon and Tom and Natalie, isn't it? You know, that's the great part about it is we get to hear people all over the planet who watch Formula One, Formula One fans, and they can put their questions because there are so many questions. And um, this is a good chance to, to fill in those gaps. So let's get to it. Crack on. So should we have the first question then? Hi Damon, Michael here from Hertfordshire. You famously filmed a Pizza Hut advert with Murray Walker. Uh, What was it like filming that together? How much pizza did they make you eat? And uh, pineapple on pizza, does it belong? So what Michael from Hertfordshire is referring to for anyone who doesn't know, is one of the most iconic adverts of all time. 
with Damon Hill and Murray Walker. And before Damon says anything, it's a resounding yes for me about pineapple. It should be with everything, not just pizza. <laughs> I, I agree, Nats. Why not just put it on anything you like? I mean, it used to be a sign of wealth, pineapple. Do you know? That's why lots of things are in the 17th century, 18th century stuff, kind of beautiful silverware that's shaped like pineapple. Because if you had a pineapple, you were obviously an extremely wealthy person. Or if you had silver, for, for that matter. But anything... So pineapple, basically, a pineapple on your pizza means you're wealthy. I mean, that's what I'm you saying. wonder why we love Ask Damon so much. You're just the gift that keeps on giving. Okay, well, uh, the question, getting back to the question about me and Murray and the advert, it was filmed by a very famous director who actually filmed, he was the director, I think it was City Slickers. You know, it's a, one of the classic films of all time. Paul Whelan, I think his name was. So it was a full-on film setup. It was at Shepperton Studios. So we, we'd literally gone into like the top end. This is back in the day, I think, when they spent a fortune on, <laughs> on adverts. Anyway, so they had me and Murray and we walked into this film set that was made set up, obviously, like a, a restaurant, Pizza Hut restaurant. Basically, they film it in snippets. But obviously, the key bit is when I'm crunching, I'm munching, getting getting really into this pizza, which is a deep pan crust, deep crust, whatever it was, pizza. <laughs> basically, because I couldn't eat that much pizza in one day, because you had to do about 20 takes, you have to spit it out into a bucket. So basically, when it's cut, they go, that's great, Damon, cut. I've got a mouthful of pizza, and then I have to spit it into a bucket. Ew. So that was, not, that was not the most pleasant part. Although, of course, pizza huts are delicious. I obviously couldn't just keep eating pizza over and over again. And you can't talk with your mouth full either can you otherwise you can't spray it all over murray because <laughs> that, the next bit was i had to actually grab him by the lapels and start getting cross with him and shake him because that was the gang you see so the commercial was uh, a big success very funny and uh, basically murray is commentating on me eating a pizza which was uh, which is the, the funny thing and then i get cheesed off with him <laughs> No pun intended. Um, <laughs> Ba-boom. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I get cheesed off because he says, and he'll spun, meaning he's turned the pizza around or something like that. And then I grab him by the lapels. There's been a shunt. It's hell. Murray, we're just out for a quiet pizza. Stop commentating. Sorry. We'll have a pepperoni, please. And here comes the pasta. It's a pizza, Murray. Hill's going for it. And he's spun his pizza through 180 degrees. Damon, when was this then? What year are we talking? Um, I think it was 96 or 98 or something. Seven, I can't, maybe so it was after you won the championship. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, but don't you remember that there were a series of Pizza Hut adverts in typical British style, being self-deprecating and able to laugh at yourself in a difficult situation? And Gareth Southgate did one as well in 96 after missing the penalty. Did he? Oh, gosh. Now, I know you're, what do we call it? A crust bucket or something. But the crust bucket is filling up. You say 20 takes or something. But was Murray a one-take wonder? Well, he, well, he was just, he's a professional, pure professional. I mean, he just became, became this maddening commentator that he isn't really or wasn't really. You know, he was a lovely man, but he knew what he had to do and he knew how to do it. And also he started in advertising. So he was completely on his patch because he knew exactly what the game was. Yeah. Brilliant with words. Brilliant with words was Murray Walker. Did he say I've got to stop because I've got a lump of pineapple in my throat? Well, no, that was my gag, Natalie, actually, though you've stolen my line because <laughs> that's what he obviously his famous line that that was hadn't done. He hadn't done that one yet. So maybe the advert was done before I won the championship. But anyway, 
Must have been the start of 96 then. And David Hill exits the chicane and wins the Japanese Grand Prix. And I've got to stop because I've got a lump in my throat. Ah, oh, so he was referring back to the Pizza Hut advert. Nothing to do with emotion as you cross the line. I get it now, I get so it. So he wasn't... No, he, no, he <laughs> just so we can avoid the commute, he wasn't making a joke when I crossed the line. But that was what I said afterwards, Murray, was that the pizza? Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. Apply. What more can we learn from Mr. Hill? Let's get the next question. Hi, Damon and the F1 Nation team. This is Clarence from Belfast. My question is about helmet swaps. Uh, more specifically, Damon, who did you swap helmets with back in the day? And is there anyone you wish you'd had the chance to swap with? Thanks and keep up the great work. Love the show. Oh, uh, Clarence, yeah, um, good question and do love the Belfast accent, of course. But helmet swaps, well, in my day, we didn't have that many crush helmets, so I tried to keep as many as I could. So if I if I swapped any, I probably would have swapped them with, um, I mean, drivers, that was before my time, you know, people swapping helmets. And um, so people tend to cling on to them. Um, people like Sterling Moss, I think he used the same helmet for his whole career. So I don't think he wanted to swap that one. But um, I did I get asked to to do a few exchanges, but that was with people who hadn't raced. So I didn't really want to to do that. So I'm, I'm a bit tight with my helmets. Aren't so I, really? so do you so. get that awkward moment where someone asks to swap helmets and you have to say no? Well, I yeah, I do. Yeah, I go, no, I'm keeping it. <laughs> Goodbye. Because I feel like Sorry. it's a lovely sign of mutual respect. I remember when Fernando did it recently with George in um, in Monaco. And it was just a lovely moment of almost kind of passing on the baton to the next generation saying, I endorse you and yeah. I respect you and I think you've got a great future. But, but what happens if... <laughs> If they come up and say, no, I'm not interested. I mean, they wouldn't do that nowadays because basically it's a thing now. And also they have so many crash helmets. They literally, they have a production line of crash helmets virtually. I don't know how many they use for each weekend, but we would have maybe three or four, five helmets for a season. So that would be your whole season's supply of crash helmets. You know, I'd sell a few for charity purposes. So that was my original intention was to say I'd, I'd want to put them on in auction. So one of my rare ones went to the FIA auction earlier this year to help raise some funds for the coronavirus stuff, I think. So, yeah, I mean, they're not, there aren't that many. They're quite rare, my helmets. So I've, I've clung on to one or two. I haven't got all of them. The half of them seem to have gone. No, I haven't swapped. But if I had to, what would, who would I, I mean, clearly, you know, imagine if I'd gone up to Etten Center and say, uh, and said, hey, hey, how about you swapping helmets with me? And he'd probably <laughs> just look at me and go, <laughs> it's not really much of a swap, is it? You know, <laughs> I think I'm losing out on the deal. <laughs> just imagine if you'd done a helmet swap with all of your teammates. Yeah. Alan Prost, 93. Ayrton Senna, yeah. 94. Jack Villeneuve. Cool third. Yeah, cool Jack Villeneuve. Third. There's yeah. a whole stack of them. Major Mansell. Also, I think you're a bit unusual because Rubens Barrichello started the same year as you and he has his office is just lined 
with other people's helmets that he's done swaps with. It's a very clever thing to have done. You know, I mean, it was, you know, I probably was, I'm not very good at looking forward at those sort of uh, smart moves, you know, so it's a good investment if you've got a whole wall of other people's famous crash helmets, isn't it? I mean, But is it seen as an investment or is it seen as being nostalgic? I mean, I love sports memorabilia. I'd fill my whole house with it if I could. And there's I, just I, a sense of being yeah. whipped back to a, a moment in time. But I, maybe you don't feel the same. Gosh, I, th- I don't know whether it's because I grew up with loads of stuff around the house from my dad as well, whether or not I kind of, you know, I lost the attraction for. Yeah, you probably take it for granted a bit. Maybe a little bit. I mean, I, I, if I had anything, I'd have guitars. That's the truth is probably, you know, if I had one of Eric Clapton's guitars up there or something like that. DH, as a teenager in all of the, the racing paddocks around the world, did you not rush around with your autograph book and get, I don't know, Sterling and all those other guys? But, you know, it's an awkward thing uh, getting someone's autograph when you're an aspiring F1, you know, No, no I'm talking before that, though. I'm talking before that, when you were in the paddock with your dad. And... I didn't, but my mum was a very determined autograph hunter and she used to collect all kinds of things, sign for, which she did an auction for charities. So uh, she was not a, not ashamed or embarrassed to go up to anybody and, and say, sign this. And um, they did. So she had books and T-shirts and stuff like that. But... Um, I did get Alan Pross autograph once, which is a bit embarrassing because uh, he was at the Autosport Awards. And uh, like a few years later, I was actually his teammate and beating him in Grand Prix. But um, yeah, uh, it is a bit of an old one. When you're competing, you don't really want to revere the person you're racing against in the same way because it's an act of reverence, isn't it? And uh, an appreciation to, to ask for someone's autograph. I mean, I never asked for Ayrton's autograph or Nigel's or anyone else's honestly. I mean, I would do now. Well, it's been usurped by selfies now, hasn't it? I mean, that's a much more... Yeah, it is true, yeah. It's, it's and then the you can really things. prove that it was you who met them. But it's not just showing a piece of paper. Hang on, can I just follow up? You say you would go and get Nigel Mansell's autograph now. No, no I wouldn't. I, no, I think it's... <laughs> I've passed the... I think I've... I have... I've kind of passed the, uh, the point where I'm, I'm kind of you know, have a, a little, you know, every Christmas I go through my autograph book and see who I've got. No, I've, I've, I don't do that anymore. Um, the other day I was on a bike ride and uh, we went through this little village and there were some firemen collecting money for charity and stuff. And this guy spotted me, a fireman, he says, oh, he says, it is you, isn't it? Yeah, oh God, will you sign my arm? Sign my arm. I said, well, okay, what do you want me to do? Is that for charity? So he said, no, I'm going to get it tattooed. I said, when? And he said, no, I'm going to get it done tomorrow morning. So I signed his arm. He's a fireman in Hampshire or Sussex somewhere, and he's got my autograph on his arm. But that's not the first time that's happened as well. So people have tattoos of my autograph on them as well. So that's, that's, fairly, that's a fairly severe commitment. It's flattering to, to think that people will go to those lengths. Guys, just before we move on, back to the original question about helmet swaps and stuff like that. I have three miniature helmets. Fernando Alonso, Jensen Button and Felipe Massa, they're all signed. But you want one of mine, don't you, Tom? Well, obviously. I'm a bit offended now. You haven't even asked. (laughs) Which of these is the most valuable, do you think? A Jensen Button signed helmet, a Fernando Alonso signed helmet, or a Felipe Massa one? You've got to do it on World Championships. So Fernando's got two. I'd say his. Okay. And is his twice as valuable as Jensen's then? No, Jensen's a legend. So that sort of, I mean, they're all good lads, aren't they? Yeah. It depends. If you're a Jensen Button fan, Jensen's is more valuable. And if you're a Fernando Alonso fan, Fernandez. That's how it works. It's all relative to the individual. Well, nice one, Clarence. I hope we've uh, helped you a little bit there and your helmet swaps. God, that was a question about helmet swaps. My goodness, we did, um, we did go off at a tangent, didn't we? Let's have the next question. 
Hi, Damon. It's Angela. I'm curious, what was your typical pre-race meal? And is there any food you avoided before getting into the car? Thank you. Angela, that's a good question. And uh, I would say, to answer the last part of it first, I would say I definitely wouldn't have a curry before I got in a Grand Prix. That would be a bad move. Um, so, you know, simple food is, is the watchword. But a Grand Prix is really a an endurance event. So you need to have high levels of endurance energy. Typically, that means carbohydrates. So I would probably have in the morning, I'd have uh, porridge and bananas. And for lunch, probably some spaghetti with some tomato sauce or something like that that's easy to get down. So um, I used to have a little sleep in good time before the race. So I'd only have a 20 minute kip, so like a power nap, because over the weekend, you burn up a lot of energy and you can be mentally frazzled. So the food thing, you make sure you eat well in advance before the, before the race. And also on top of that, you're taking in fluids. So, you know, you don't have food and fluids sloshing around inside you. So you have to kind of split up your drinking from your eating. So, yeah, it's quite, quite complicated getting the food down and finding the time to get it so that you're at peak performance just before you get in the race. I want to know though, Damon, I'm not even taking part in these races and yet I get nervous before them, which means my appetite's suppressed. And then afterwards, the hunger really hits me, you know, sort of four, yeah. five, six o'clock in the afternoon, by which point I've missed the, the window to have lunch. Do you get the same? Yeah. Do you get nerves and therefore don't want to eat? Yeah, that's another point, actually. If, you, if you're quite uh, tense, then eat, digesting is difficult. And of course, your blood flow, it, it changes depending on what your requirements are. So when you're, you've got a lot on your mind, Natalie, when you go live and Tom, you know, whatever you're doing, you've got to keep sharp. When you're doing live TV, you have to be on top of it mentally. And so if you have a heavy meal, then of course, that takes blood flow away from your brain which is trying to work quite hard. And your brain is also using up a lot of calories and, and blood sugar and stuff. So sometimes you'll find that, you know, people get headaches afterwards because they've been thinking so hard. And anyone who's done an exam will tell you that's, you know, it's a real thing. But, um, you, you know, you do need to make sure you get something. What I find is that a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to eat now or I can't eat now. So they don't eat. And sometimes you have to force yourself to eat, but you have to eat the right stuff. So a banana, for example, is easy to digest and has all the things you need in it to get you through. You know, if you cook them, if you barbecue them and put some um, uh, Grand Marnier and a bit of whipped cream on them, they actually are delicious. But we don't have time for that. At a race meeting. You have to learn to control your adrenaline as well. So breathing, Natalie, I can teach you breathing techniques to keep the adrenaline back because you don't want to burn up the adrenaline. You need the adrenaline, but it won't last forever. Eventually you'll peak and then you'll crash. So a bit like glucose or too much sugar. I think the guys at Pizza Hut are going to be disappointed. I think they were expecting you to say, yeah, <laughs> thick cross pizza just before the off. That's what I need. <laughs> Hello, Damon. I'm Yasmin from Buckinghamshire, originally from Scunthorpe, which is where the Northern Tones come from. My question is, if you were to pick any teammate from the current F1 lineup, who would you choose and why? Hello, Yasmin from Buckinghamshire, which is, for those listening around the world, one of the counties that Silverstone is in. Silverstone shares a border, or a border goes right through the middle of it. So one part is in Northamptonshire and the other one is in Buckinghamshire. And uh, Yasmin has asked, who would I prefer to have as a teammate? I have to say, Fernando Alonso has got to be right up there uh, on my list of chosen teammates at the moment. Of course, Esteban Ocon 
were, was was singing his praises after the Hungarian Grand Prix and and saying what a great you know great lad he was to to work with. I would think that when he was very much younger and extremely quick and competitive, he may have been a little more difficult to work with. Uh, but we all live and learn and grow up and stuff. So you know the mature Fernando Alonso would have to be right up there on the list. Let me think of who else. DH, isn't he a bit quick? I thought all racing drivers oh, wanted slow on. teammates. Tom, Gerhard Berger, you... the best teammate I ever had was the one who was one and a half seconds slower oh, than me. God, do you think I'd get beaten by Fernando Alonso? Are you seriously yes, saying to Tom, me, Tom, don't doubt our champ. Exactly. And I wasn't doubting the champ. I just, he might make you work hard. That's yeah, well, all. that's good, isn't it? My middle name is actually Devereaux, but um, that's another <laughs> question. Well... <laughs> Uh, Devereux is a place in France don't ask me why I've got that as a middle name it means from Evereux and of course who comes from oh I like what you've done there I like what you've done there you see what I've done there yeah yeah Esteban Ocon, in case anyone's wondering, by Comes the way. Is Esteban Ocon Devereaux. Do you know, I did giggle when Esteban said that thing about Fernando, because it's a bit like the classic line is, I don't care what anyone says, you're a good lad. It's, yeah. a, it's yeah. a very yeah. underhand those people. compliment, isn't it? It's like saying, well, I like you, no one else does. But <laughs> Although I, I know he meant it, I know he meant it, because I think people are probably scared Esteban a little bit, hadn't they? Thinking, oh, it's not going to work out well with Fernando. And, you know, they're bedding in very well together. But Yasmin makes a very important point. You know, my career was enhanced by being with the teammates that I was with. Alain Prost, Ayrton Senna, Nigel Mansell, Coulthard and Villeneuve. You want to measure yourself against the best. You don't want to come out of here not knowing. You don't want to say, okay, well... uh, you know, I never was teammates with Michael Schumacher, but I raced against him and what I considered to be equal equipment. And so I know how I measure up against Michael. I mean, I'll never know how I measure up against Lewis Hamilton. Um, frankly, I think he probably blow me into the weeds on a regular basis. But you'd like to have a go to find out. Every racing driver wants to know how they measure up. And so the benchmark is the best drivers. OK, it's difficult. It's not always a nice relationship when you, when one of you in that room could become world champion the other one lose it sets up a very tricky dynamic so it's it, you're never going to be completely comfortable with your teammate but it's you know if you're a sportsman then you can at least you should be able to look them in the eye and go well done you or well you know they can say the same to you you know so those kind of guys I had a great relationship with Jack he was very sporting I won the championship that year and he won it later on so I think that teammates it's a very difficult relationship it can get very nasty and you don't want that Mm. everyone's a winner you win in 96 Jack in 97 well if I was a racing driver I'd want Carlos Sainz as my teammate yeah I think he's a good crack I think he's he's a great driver I want to play him at chess. I want to play paddle. I want to play paddle. And I think Carlos is good at that, isn't he? Right. I think you'd have fun with Carlos Sainz. Do you know who I'd pick as my teammate? Uh, Daniel Ricciardo. No, I'd have two. I'd go for Tom Clarkson and Damon Hill. And would you look at that? That's exactly who I've got. Thanks, Jacks. <laughs> oh, jeez. You're good, Pink. So clever. I'm blushing. She's so much cleverer than us, Tom. I don't think that's what Yasmin was expecting, to be honest. Good question. We are not going to be bored in the summer break at all if we keep getting those questions. So keep them coming. You're right, Damon, because that's exactly what we're going to do next week. Another marathon of Ask Damon. Pinks, you've been away for a couple of weeks. Can you remember the lines that we have to deliver to end the show? F1 Nation is a podcast... With Tom Clarkson, Damon Hill. <laughs> no, F1 
Nation is produced by Formula One in association with Audio Boom. Bosh! Kaboom!